Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is a certified professional in talent development. She's the president of Signature Presentations and an adjunct professor of management and leadership at Duke University. She's a professional speaker, consultant, writer, and teacher, having trained over 100,000 people in the last 20 years. She speaks globally on building belonging, confidence, clarity, and presence, and she helps companies overcome barriers to building thriving workspaces with a culture of belonging. Her approaches are based on extensive research so she can effectively work with leaders at all levels to create safe, compassionate environments where employees know they can express 100% of themselves without fear. I think that defines what is meant by belonging. She is currently writing a book on all this, and it's scheduled to be published in the fall of this year. Please welcome the president of Signature Presentations, Wendy Gates Corbett. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Gary. How are you today? I I am fantastic. I've, I've been looking forward to this podcast for a long time because we met years ago. Actually, you gave me a ride to Charlotte, North Carolina to a National Speakers Association meeting. Uh, I'll never forget that because I needed a ride and it's a long walk. So uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the ride. And that's where we met as uh, both members of the NSA. But the work that you're doing today, I'm, I'm excited about talking about this because I, I have to tell you, I came across this idea as we talk about DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, in a book by uh, Brene Brown and mm-hmm. her new book, which uh, I have sitting right over here, The Atlas of the Heart. And she talks about the difference between fitting in and belonging. And I just, I loved that whole idea and the work that you're doing on this today. Cause you know, I can remember when I didn't fit in very well, being an American Catholic in a Scottish Protestant school for two years when I was nine, 10 years old mm-hmm. and, and didn't fit in and, you know, uh, didn't, didn't belong either in a lot of ways <laughs> in that situation. But there's a lot of a lot of work that's going on right now and the work that you're doing in a broad base with this and a lot of other things is is fascinating. How did you, how did you get, let's talk a little bit about history is how did you get to where you are today? I mean, a certified professional talent development expert. And, and I, I think we talked about this teaching management and leadership at Duke university to engineers to engineers, none of the history, none of the bio that you read mentioned anything about engineering. So you're right, you uh, you tapped into the fact that I am teaching leadership and management to engineers when I am not an engineer. Well, that sounds kind of exciting because I am an engineer. And (laughs) what would you tell me about leadership as an engineer? Let's count me as the typical analytical, focused on the project, get things done kind of an engineer. And, and what kinds of things do you help these engineers with? What I love about Duke's engineering management graduate program is that 
this course, the Leadership and Management in High-Tech Industries, is a required course because you and I know as leadership experts that the way we get work done is by motivating people. Hmm. And typical engineering skills don't focus on people skills. They focus on analysis, reading data, being innovative. So what I say about leadership to engineers is the way to get the success that you want, the way to optimize your innovation, the way to have successful projects is by being able to connect with the people you lead so that Mm. they eagerly and willingly follow you. Well, you know, I, I think about this a lot, being an engineer myself, and, and uh, I, I don't understand why engineers don't figure it out because we all take courses in thermodynamics and learn about enthalpy and entropy. And isn't the energy of a human being just focused on, you know, heat and, and expression and, and, and passion and energy? I mean, but we, we seem to miss that in our thermodynamics courses, Wendy. That was one of those other duties as required or one of those um, alternate topics that might be covered that you never get to, which is why I love the fact that this course is a required course. The insights that these students have about the importance at the beginning of their careers um, as engineering leaders, these people are going to change the world. And for them to learn as they are also honing their engineering skills to hone and develop their people skills as they and before they step into our workplaces is phenomenal. And it is such an honor to be a part of that. Yeah. So give me an example of one of the most important things that you're, you're teaching these young men and women of engineering at Duke. What, what's the one or two things that just has grabbed you passionately and said, this is what you guys really need to know. What is that? There are two things. One is uh, we include a concept of developing your personal leadership brand, which is a lot of internal work um, about what we stand for, what values guide us in our decisions, our career paths, exploring that and getting some clarity on what our own values are and how those values are threaded into our everyday behaviors, both at work and beyond. And threaded, threaded into our, 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 our everyday behaviors and thoughts most of the time without thought. It's unconscious, right? That's so right. So you, you, you draw this out. Yes, that the whole purpose of the exercises we do related to personal leadership brand are to make them conscious and Mm -hmm. to start building those habits of keeping it conscious so that we can use our own values to guide our behavior and also guide the way we interact with the people we work with, which is the other area of focus in the course. And that's how to have difficult conversations. Mm. Um, The whole idea of we do not get our work done alone. We need the help, the collaboration, the insights, the sacrifices, the input of other people to get our work done. So, and there are times when somebody's not pulling their weight, when they are behind on deadlines or they're no showing in meetings, where we have to have difficult conversations. The time to start building that skill 
to be able to open up and work our way collaboratively through a difficult conversation is not once you've been in your career for five, 10 years and you've become a manager, that's not the time to start developing the skill. The time is to start developing it now. Yeah, and developing it now under conditions that are less uh, yes. less critical, right? Yes, it's, and they're safe. It doesn't matter what happens in the classroom. It's safe. That's right. Yes. It doesn't matter. Exactly. But five years from now, you're talking to your boss, and you have a situation where you see, and you need to that, that boss needs to hear your voice. You need a skill to help you be heard. Otherwise, bad things could happen. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you're teaching them at, at uh, 18, 20, 21 years old. This is this is great. It's, the leadership brand that you're talking about too, I, I love this because you would have answered this question correctly because I tell, I ask the question about leadership development all the time. Where do you start? Where, what's the, where, where do you start your leadership development? And in my seven steps of intentional leadership, step one purpose, component one is writing a personal mission statement which is exactly a personal leadership brand. Same thing. What yeah. are your values? What do you stand mm -hmm. for? And keeping that in front of you every day so that you consistently show up as the best version of yourself. This is, this is great stuff. How, how did you get into this though? Cause you know, when we were talking years ago, you were doing work in uh, helping people with your business on um, presentation skills and presentation mm -hmm. uh, PowerPoint slides mm -hmm. and better, better ways of getting your, message out and now you've morphed into more of this leadership expert you know and and but communication is really part of it isn't it, it talk is. a little bit about your path how did you how did you get to this point well i i will say that i consider myself um an organization expert i'm still mm. learning as we all are on the leadership stuff um, but i i do embrace the knowledge and experience I have related to specific things we can do to help employees and colleagues feel better about the time we spend at work. That's where my passion for belonging came from. I uh, left about nine years ago, I left a corporate career in training, working with technology companies to focus on helping people who present present with confidence, clarity, and deliver memorable messages, which is one of the, the uh, paths that you and I had where our paths crossed. Mm -hmm. That work was really fulfilling. As I continued in that work, I started to get more interested in sort of zooming out and broadening my perspective on what helps us feel confident at work Part of that is feeling like we belong there. Mm. I also have a, a, a long part of my personal history related to belonging on a personal level. And with my background and passion for organizational psychology, which I think focuses on, in my words, focuses on helping us feel better about the time we spend at work. Um, I started getting more interested in what contributes to having people feel like we don't have to hide the personal sides of ourselves when we come to the office. or We don't have to worry about saying the wrong things when we can be fully expressive verbally as well as mentally and psychically or psychologically when we can just be our whole imperfect selves 
without being afraid that you're going to use our weaknesses against us. And what I found is there's a lot of theory and incredible research, really powerful research on what contributes to that kind of culture. With my focus, though, I want to give the people I work with something they can do tomorrow. So my focus is on taking the research and bringing our understanding of belonging out of our heads, out of the out of thinking away from thinking that belonging is this nebulous, fuzzy, conceptual, heady concept and putting it in our hands by sharing simple behaviors, acts and practices we can use to help each other feel better about the time we spend at work. Well, I, I like simple and specific. I love this. Yes. So yes, give me a give me an example of what you do with people that says these this is a behavior that you can help people feel more comfortable and belonging at work. Well, I I have hundreds of those, but the teacher in me is gonna demonstrate that um, it's much more powerful rather than me saying, here's what you can do, Gary, is mm. to for me to facilitate you tapping into What is it that helps me feel connected to my colleagues? And the research that I've done as I explored what contributes to to a caring, belonging culture, there's a lot. You and I both know there's a lot that goes into that. But what I found is there are three consistent themes that show up in what creates a culture of belonging. At work, we need to feel connected to the people we work with. We need and our leaders. We need to feel respected by our peers and leaders. We need to know that the the skills that we bring are recognized and that they matter to our colleagues, to our leaders and to the organization, that they make a difference. And thirdly, we need to feel protected. That's the Mm -hmm. psychological safety. We need to feel safe to ask questions, to either say, I don't know, I don't understand, or to say, I disagree with you. So what I do when I work with individuals and with organizations is facilitate coming up with um, eliciting from the people I'm working with. What are examples of uh, when you feel connected with your coworkers or with your leaders? Or when you feel disconnected, right? You know, so you look at both the connection, respected, protected, and looking at each one of those. I want to go back for a second though, before we dive into this too much, because I think it, on the other side of this, as you're talking, here's what struck me. Cause I, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, I was an army officer and there's certain cliches that come out of the military mm-hmm. that go into business that I think are detrimental to all the things that you're talking about. One is familiarity breeds contempt. All right. So people say, Oh, you know, if I know my people too, or if I'm too close to them, I'm like, all right, look, here's the deal. Context and leadership is everything. In the military, the context of leadership is necessary to not have too close a relationship with people because I'm going to ask some of my troops to go and die. Mm -hmm. So I've got to tell them, you've got to take the hill. You're going to, you're going to die. Now, if I go, you know, Wendy, I don't want to, I don't want you to get hurt. So, you know, we're not going to do, we're not going to fulfill our mission. Okay. So familiarity breeds contempt is just bullshit. When you think about it in, in, in business, 
Familiarity is. is understanding the human being. It's getting yes. to know the person. And that's how we connect. Yes. And I think that, that that cliche gets in our way sometime when people are new in leadership and they've heard that cliche and they go, well, I don't want to get too close to my people, you know, because right. I have to make tough decisions. No, let's 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 expand the relationship that you have with people so that you know when you have to make those tough decisions, regardless of your personal connection to them. Yes. Familiarity breeds caring. That's oh, so much yes, more powerful yes. than contempt. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna change the change that. Okay. <laughs> and and I think that one of my other podcast guests, uh, Naya Powell, and I love this. She said, um, and I I told her I'm gonna use this quote, which she said, just because we normalize something doesn't make it healthy. And mm-hmm. I said, well, for leadership, I'm gonna say just because we normalize it doesn't make it right. So we've normalized this idea of familiarity in cultures that is actually creating a barrier to all the things that you're talking about. And we need to stop that. So I love, I love what you're doing. I'd like to hear though, just an example, a story that you could share with us of a company that you worked with, there's an organization or an individual that you worked with that helped them shift their culture from where they were. And, and good people that wanted to do this and you were able to go in and work with them and help them connect, help them respect and help them protect. Yeah, I, I recently worked with a nationwide credit union with their managers. They were uh, figuring out how to create connection. They're uh, making organization wide decisions about who has to come back to the office and figuring all of that out. Um, a recent engagement survey mentioned or surfaced that many employees were feeling disconnected. Um, So they reached out to me and as part of the management leadership work that we did together, um, I shared a a survey with them and had them complete it. And um, because all of these managers thought that, how do I, how do I create this culture of belonging? What is this belonging stuff and how do I do it? Um, And instead of focusing on the leaders connecting with their direct reports, I focused on the leadership team connecting, respecting, and protecting each other. We started there first. And one of the questions I ask in my survey is, what's an example of a time you felt connected to your coworkers? And the, the responses that come from that are, they are not heady. They are not more uh, more time off. It's not um, an offsite leadership retreat. It's simple things like when somebody sends me a smiley emoji, you know, when, when I come into the Zoom meeting or I come into the conference room and someone says, hey, Gary, when I'm acknowledged, when somebody invites me to lunch, it is the simple things. So rather than me, I, I know I know all of this and I've worked with many companies and thousands of people to surface these behaviors, but it's much more powerful when when you complete the survey and I'm sharing with you examples from yourself and from your colleagues at what little things build connection, what small, simple things saying thank you, demonstrate respect, and particularly what's really powerful with leaders is what helps employees and colleagues feel safe? One of the things I see, one of the paradoxes I see is that leaders, as leaders, we think we need to have the answers. And as, with as much uncertainty as we are living in right now, we don't have all the answers. 
So some leaders hold back saying anything because we don't want to say, I don't know. Yeah. But the simple act of saying, I don't know right now, builds a much safer space than the silence of not saying anything until you know. And more than more than that, though, you, you, when you create, you become human by saying, I don't know, yes. when, you, when you sit there and think that you have to be perfect. And again, this is mindset. This is the same mindset as familiarity breeds contempt. The, the idea of, of uh, the leader has to have the answers. You know, yes. if when, when I get these mindsets, then I become ineffective. Mm-hmm. And one of the other thing I want to go back to that's really, really important in the work that you're doing is you started off by talking about leadership with your engineers and they write their personal brand. So they get, it's inside out, right? I get to know what I stand for. And then you're working with an executive team and you're working with the team, not with who they're they're reporting to them, but to each other. It's inside out. Everything is inside out. First me, then the team, then the organization, then our customers, then the market. And it's gotta be inside out. And what you're talking about is getting very specific with what people are doing and saying and how they're interacting with each other. And I love this because I'm going to go back in our relationship building. We talk about the four A's of uh, acknowledgement, appreciation, affection, and acceptance. And acknowledgement is just using your name, you know, mm-hmm. just use a person's name. Uh, appreciation is saying, thank you. Uh, connection or affection. We say, you got to be careful with this, but it's, it's affection. When you're in the office, you give a high five, a, a fist bump. People right. need physical connection sometime. You know, most people, not everybody, but most people. And then acceptance is listening. Just listen to a person. I can't tell you the number of times I've had people in our leadership programs. They have to write stories every month. And the person says, oh, I wrote the story. I was talking to Wendy. And I sat there and I just listened to Wendy for 15 minutes. I didn't do anything. You know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll put that in there. I didn't yeah. do anything. And, and Wendy walked away and she was just like felt great. And I'm yeah. like, yes, you did do something. Mm-hmm. You give them the safe space to hear, to listen and, and there's so much power in some of these simple things and all of these things that you're talking about are putting those things into practice every day. I mean, yeah. I was sitting there when you were talking about like thinking, well, what if Wendy just brought me a bottle of water once and threw it at me and said, Hey, Gary, you look a little dehydrated, you know, <laughs> just a, a, an act of kindness. Right. And that's what you're yes. talking about. Little things. Yes. Yeah. An act of caring. Yes. 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 So you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to guess that as you've been doing this and you're starting to really hone your model and you're writing your book and you're doing this, you're coming up with a model and an approach and a process to be able to do this. And that, that's what excites you, right? Is you, yeah. you know, you can go into an organization and as I put, I put down here, how do we belong? It's not just this, this thing of belonging, but how do we make space, a culture to belong? But I want to back up for a second because I don't know much about Wendy when she was 20. You know, I don't, how did you, what was your path in getting here? You worked for companies and, you know, and, and, and we evolve ourselves, right? How, how was that evolution for you? Well, it was, um, it was really, it felt convoluted at the time, but it is, it has actually come full circle. In undergrad, I was completely 100% driven to become a clinical psychologist. I knew going into college that I was going to become a therapist. I was a psychology major. And after I graduated, I spent five years doing substance abuse counseling with the idea Mm. that I would bulk up my, my application to graduate school. 
What I discovered in those five years is that um, doing therapy was not for me. My heart was too big um, and I was unable to, to maintain healthy boundaries of caring. Mm-hmm. I cared too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, was un- I got burnt out. But in those same time, because I wasn't the only person that got burnt out, I ended up becoming responsible for doing onboarding and training new counselors how to do counseling. That's how I discovered training. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. So I, I got interested in training. Also, during the, the five years I was at this, this treatment center, there were three different executive directors from a merger and just because of life. Under each of those three executive directors, the culture was incredibly different. That got me interested in what creates organizational culture. When I discovered that um, I didn't have it in me to be a therapist, I felt like I was a failure. I felt like I'd made the wrong career choice. So I talked to um, the guy who had been my advisor, the professor who had been my advisor in school, and I told him about this. And he said, you know, Wendy, there's an entire field of psychology that focuses on culture. And I was like, what? <laughs> I discovered or, industrial and organizational psychology, the psychology yeah. of the workplace. I got a master's in organizational psychology. And uh, the, the first company, first job I got when I was, uh, after I uh, um, got my master's, was um, with a, a learning management system company, with a software company. And that's, I got involved in doing training. And at first I was so excited at the idea of, of helping people figure out how to use this software, seeing the light bulbs come on once, uh, once people realized and started making connections with how the system works, then the light bulbs would come on all the time. I worked in learning management system companies for 20 years. Hmm. By the the 20th year, the fact that I was helping a light bulb come on about what button to click, it just wasn't, it wasn't doing it for me anymore. It wasn't, wasn't really making a difference in the world. These systems, the software is necessary software, but everybody hates their LMS. Everybody Hmm. hates their learning management system. So we could be the best trainers in the world. I could um, lead the best training team in the world, but the best we could hope for is to help you hate your system a little bit less. It really mm-hmm. wasn't making a difference in the world. Yeah, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an observation here because I think that that, that light bulb, that that uh, that thing that you see in people's face, that bright spot, right? was still something regardless of you know what whether you felt you were making a difference in the world that was still a, a level of satisfaction that you were always looking for right you Good might work. want to do it in a different way yes. and, and that's what happened after 20 years you say I want to see that but I want to do it in a different way in a different way and throughout those 20 years it evolved from the students that I was training or the the training participants I was training to the trainers that I was leading to the directors I was you know, in a peer group with. So whose light bulbs changed, but it's still the light bulbs. And that's why my whole approach to belonging, coming back to specific behaviors, helps facilitate light bulbs in a different way. 
because when people realize, yeah. oh, I know how to do that. I know how to say thank you. I know how to pick a funny emoji icon and send it to someone to let them know I'm thinking about them. It facilitates the light bulbs coming on. But yes, you're you're right. Whose light bulbs are coming on and what it is that they are becoming enlightened about has evolved. So here, here's another tough question for you because we've faced this in leadership all the time. I mean, I can I can remember facing this uh, back when I worked for Procter and Gamble, and we were doing some organizational shifts on our crews, and there's always that one person that basically says, "I'm not doing this." Okay. I can only imagine that there's a lot of I'm not doing this when we start talking about belonging, you know, that this is I'm running a business. This is bullshit. I don't need to do this. I, 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 you know, whatever, you know, out of fear, people will sit there not really understanding it. How do you overcome that with people? One thing I share is data that um, people who feel like they don't belong are at least 50 percent more likely to leave. Um, and what's the, the cost of that kind of turnover? How much productivity are you losing when you are not able to keep a workforce that shares your vision and is motivated to bring their best, provide their best, contribute their best at work? And just so that you, you and I know this, but I'm going to put this into the podcast because people need to know it's 1.5 to 4.5 times their salary every time you lose somebody. That's right. And the higher they up in the organization, the more impact they have, the longer they've been there, the higher the cost. I mean, think about this. If just on average, you're losing two to three times their salary every time you lose somebody, people don't realize the cost of turnover and that can be measured. So anyway, I just want to throw that in there. The flip side of that is what if they stay? What are the costs? Oh, of oh that's one of my favorites, Wendy. Disengaged, the, yes. who is muted, who is not responding to emails, who is just dialing it in. What's it's the not the people that quit and go. That's the problem. It's the people that quit and stay. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Good yeah. point. Yep. The other yep. thing is I am, in, I focus on inspiring and equipping the people who are listening. I'm not mm. spending a whole lot of energy trying to convince the people who are not convincible. I, I share, I share data. I share the research. Uh, but beyond that, if you want to deal with an, the churn of an overturning, you know, an overturning workforce, an uncommitted workforce, that's on you. Well, actually, I will tell you, this person that didn't want to buy into what we were doing with the crew when I was with Procter & Gamble, we moved him to another crew. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes you just got to move them out. I mean... Uh, you're not like, I, I really like that. You focus on the people that are going to support it. You mm -hmm. know, it's the right thing and you move forward. Yeah. 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 That's great. So we're, we're going to have to wrap up here because we could go on for a very, very long time. This is such an exciting uh, thing. And I, I really love the simplicity of connected, respected, uh, protected and I, I will say that uh, back even in the 80s and 90s, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day about um, some of the uh, really negative uh, approaches to things or to life or people are actually uh, very destructive in relationships. And I took a military approach to that when I had situations where people were uh, harassing other people. And I just told them it stops or you're fired. I mean, it's really simple. I just won't put up with it. We have to 
learn to get along and respect each other. And we need that more today than ever. We do. You are absolutely right. So I, I want to wrap up. Uh, I, I don't, is there anything else that you want to share with us before I wrap up with my final question to you, but uh, anything that you'd like to share in the work that you're doing to try to get people uh, uh, more interested in this, excited about it, because this is great stuff that you're doing. I mean, what, what do you, what do you tell people? Well, I, um, two things I would love to share. One is that uh, I am really excited about this book. Um, I am writing a book that shares examples and stories from professionals at, at all levels. Some of the stories are times when people did feel like they belong. They did feel connected. They did feel respected. There are also stories and examples from people at all levels of an organization who didn't feel that. I also share 20, uh, 20 practices that we can use to build connection in mm. with the people we work with, 20 strategies to demonstrate respect and 20 strategies for uh, for creating a safe workplace. Um, and part of the book includes examples from, from individual one-on-one interviews, but I also have a survey that's available for the public because I want to surface examples. I want to include a gazillion examples of what helps us create connection, respect, and, and a, a safe work environment. So uh, if you're up for it, I would love to include a link to the survey that's available for the public where you can share your own examples of what's one simple thing that one of your coworkers did that that made you feel good, that made you feel welcomed, that made you feel like you matter. Um, I would love to get some additional input. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. Do you have a title for the book yet or is that still under uh, under construction? It's still under under wraps right now. Under wraps. Related to belonging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So I want to finish up by asking my, my favorite question that I always ask. And uh, I don't know if you were prepared for this or not, but here it is. Wendy, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to you, maybe 20 or 25 years, and maybe it's that person that was uh, working for the big corporation after, you know, training people in technology, or maybe even that college student way back when, when you were absolutely convinced that you were going to be a therapist. What would you write to Wendy? That you do belong here exactly as you are. Mm. The world needs your voice, not you trying to adapt and be Gary's voice. The Mm. world needs your voice. So it sounds to me like you've had some real struggles with this whole topic of belonging over your lifetime. I have my interest in belonging at work stems from my personal experience most of my life. But that's another, that's another discussion. That's another discussion. And uh, it's unfortunate that anybody ever treated you in a way that you don't deserve, because I know over the years that I've gotten to know you, you're just, just such a bright star and a beautiful human being. And I'm so pleased that you, took the time out today to uh, share some of these things and the work that you're doing. I love it. And I really appreciate you being on the show today, Wendy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Wendy Gates Corbett, thank you so much for being our guest today on leading from the front where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com.